Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're here this morning. We've got some answers for some of your questions. And we hope that you give us some more questions today. That's the way this program works. If you're a first-time viewer, uh, we just answer viewer questions because we want people to know their Bible better. And we found out that's a pretty good way. Just let people tell us what they've always wondered about the Bible or uh, if they have some problem with a verse or chapter and don't understand it or think that just couldn't possibly be true. Uh, any of those kind of questions, we'd be happy to try to find an answer for you. And uh, get it to you in future programs. So you'll notice there's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. You use those anytime you want to to get in touch with us. Let us uh, try to answer your questions for you and you tell us what you'd like the program to be about. We introduce Toby Levering who's here again this morning ready to answer some questions. Good morning Toby. Good morning Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go and we've got Plenty saved up good ones to go. I think you've got the first one, but we always start with our viewing audience and give them one lady named Hannah in the Old Testament. She actually gave her child to the Lord. What was that child's name? And we'll uh, give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you know about Hannah and the little fellow she gave to God. Yep. <laughs> All right, Toby, why don't first, you get us started here? This question is a timeline question. The viewer wants to know, when did the wise men meet Jesus? I'm confused about the star and the manger. Uh, well, that is an understandable confusion. <laughs> There's a lot of, uh, uh, I guess, misconstrued ideas about the Christmas story uh, that have kind of been pieced together from different parts. When you actually read the scriptures, you see it's a little bit different than probably what you imagined. Uh, for this answer, I'm going to look. Of course, there's a couple of references to uh, the nativity story and uh, the, the very early days of Jesus' uh, life, his infancy. Uh, but I'm, we're going to look at the one from Matthew. And I've just selected a few parts of the verses from Matthew chapter 2. We're going to look at those together. Uh, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. On coming to the house... They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So that, that is not the entirety of uh, Matthew chapter 2, but those selections from that chapter uh, show us a couple of things. First, uh, it tells us that the Magi coming to visit was after Jesus was born. Uh, it says they saw his star, and there's a bit of debate over what that means and what kind of star it was. It was it something that the Magi knew about and, and understood that this was to be a great happening or a great event. Uh, they were from the east, and they were probably uh, trained in astrology and, 
and understood how the heavens move around and they knew something big was going to happen. So they saw that, but it says after Jesus was born. It wasn't the time when he was, you know, a little newborn Jesus and placed in the manger and all that. Now, this modern Christmas stories we see kind of lump the shepherds and the magi and everybody all together. When you look at it, it seems like that this event occurred uh, somewhat after the time of Jesus' birth. Uh, because the next part of that scripture that we read says it coming to the house. And of course, we remember that they were not at a house nor the inn. There was no room even at the inn, but they had to be out where the uh, stable for the animals was. So at this time, they were in a house. And uh, then Matthew refers to Jesus as a child and not a babe or an infant. And so that tells us it's probably sometime later. So uh, when did the wise men meet Jesus? Most likely uh, somewhere maybe a year or two after he was born uh, and had already, you know, Mary and Joseph had already uh, settled down a bit, and Jesus was, of course, a little bit older. But we kind of lump all those stories together from Matthew and Luke and just make it under one big uh, mishmash, I guess. So, anyway, that's the that answer to the question. Out a little bit. Yep. All right. This viewer wants to know about the future and has been reading in Matthew 22 and wants to know at verse 30 does that mean that no one will be married in heaven? Will no one be married in heaven? Matthew 22, 30. Uh, Jesus seems to say that. Let's get the picture, though, of what he's talking about. Uh, we always teach context on this program. Always read a little bit around the verse that you've seen, see what it's talking about. And you'll see that he was talking to the Sadducees up in verse 23. If you learn a little bit about the Sadducees, you'll know they didn't believe in the resurrection. They thought when people died, we were just dead, just dead all over like Rover, and weren't going to have a resurrection. Well, they dreamed up this question to try to trick Jesus and get him confused about the resurrection. They made up this big story about a woman having, a woman having husband after husband after husband. And he, then they said, well, now, if they're all resurrected, if there really is a resurrection, who's going to be her husband in heaven? And so Jesus tells them in verse uh, 20, he said, you don't know the scriptures. Uh, you err because you don't know the scriptures. Uh, he was talking about they didn't understand the resurrection. Scripture talks a lot about the resurrection. He said, you, hadn't, you don't study the scriptures enough to know about the resurrection. And then he gives them this piece of information in verse uh, 30 that our viewer asked about. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like angels in heaven. Well, as far as we know, the angels don't marry or uh, have any kind of relationship that way. And Jesus says, that's the way it's going to be. There's not going to be any more marriage. Uh, <clears throat> he wasn't really talking about that subject. He was discussing the resurrection. But he just threw that piece of information in there that you, you don't have to worry about that. Uh, now, did he mean all marriages will be dissolved or we won't remember them or anything like that? He didn't say that. He said, we won't be marrying people in heaven. Uh, we won't be getting married anymore. Uh, I think, well, I, surely we'll remember, if we have any kind of memory of earth, we'll remember who we were married to. Now, God's going to work it out somehow. Uh, it's not going to cause us any problems by any way it means. Uh, probably the best way to think about it is the purposes of marriage on earth uh, first is for man and woman to complete each other. That we need each other on this earth just to get through this whole world. And when we get to heaven, that'll be different. 
And the other reason for marriage is procreation and to multiply and fill the earth. Uh, we won't need that anymore. So there may be some, uh, surely there'll be some kind of recognition of the relationship. Uh, I have no doubt that the lovely woman I've lived with for almost 48 years now uh, and is a huge part of the reason that I'm going to get to heaven. Uh, I'm not going to look at her when I get there and say, she looks kind of familiar, but <laughs> I don't know who she is. Uh, I think we'll be just fine. Uh, God will work it out. Uh, there may be some relationship there. There's just not going to be any more marriages because we don't need any more marriages. Uh, so that's the answer. Jesus didn't really say no one would be married, but there won't be any more marriages once we get there. <laughs> All righty, tell me what do you got next? All right, the next viewer asked a question. Uh, where does it say a woman shall not be shaved or shorn? Well, I had to think twice about what the viewer was asking here. Um, this is uh, mostly a translation uh, that comes from one unique translation, the King James. Uh, we're going to look at the verse that's in the NIV from 1 Corinthians, the, the, where the verse comes from, 1 Corinthians. Uh, I'm sorry, it's not going to be on the screen, but it's 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. <clears throat> and I'll read to you from the King James, even though it won't be on your screen. Paul there writes, But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that even <clears throat> for that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if a woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is, but if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. Well, part of the the difficulty with that translation is uh, we don't really commonly use that vernacular anymore. What Paul is saying there is, of course, that we uh, that. Um, Every church that has ever existed has existed in the backdrop of a culture. And in that culture especially, <clears throat> for women to have shaved hair uh, or, or uh, cut excessively short, there was a symbol there that that woman was a woman of loose morals and that she was conveying something by wearing her hair like that. And Paul's addressing this and he's saying, you know, if when you convey that message, uh, whether or not you actually uh, are trying to convey that message, that's the message that is received uh, by the culture around you. And uh, so he's saying in the attitude of worship, in the time of worship, certainly cover your head uh, so that, you know, uh, the wrong message is not received. And I think some people go so far and take it literally and say that women can't cut their hair or they can only... Uh, uh, they, they have to have it a certain length and must never cut it. I think when you read the context of it, it's clear that Paul is addressing a proper attitude of worship. And that's really what um, applies to us today. It's not so much the outward appearance. We have to give thought to our outward appearance, but the, the attitude with which you do it. Um, for an example, maybe in the first century, a woman would have said, well, I have every right to wear the hair however I would like to. Well, technically you may, but you're misrepresenting Christ and you're misrepresenting the church and what it stands for. And even though you have the right to, you're not, your attitude, your heart, your spirit is not correct 
in how a Christian approaches uh, being an ambassador for Christ. Peter probably explains it a little bit better in 1 Peter chapter 3, which we will read on the screen, uh, verses 3 and 4. He says, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Uh, women today have so much pressure on their outward appearance. And Peter says, uh, your outward appearance is fine, but really what God is concerned with is the inward spirit. And that's uh, the attitude you want know, to make sure that is in the right uh, frame of mind as you approach, especially coming together to, to worship. So I hope that helps the viewer. All right. Thank you, Toby. Uh, i got an interesting question here. Let me forgot to talk about the Bible Correspondence course. Let me, let me do that first. <laughs> I try to do that every week. Sometimes I forget when I wanted to do it. Uh, today this would be a good time to do that. Uh, we like to study with you each week, but we also advocate some home Bible study. Uh, and so we like to talk about a good way to do that. We've got some free Bible study materials that uh, we are happy to send you. And like we say, they are absolutely free. Uh, I know most folks that get offers on religious TV programs expect a, a mailing list to come along with it or repeated phone calls or begging for money. That doesn't happen on Know Your Bible. Uh, all we want you to do is study the Bible, and we find, have found a good way to do that. This course you see on the screen is our first course. It's a real basic one, a good overview of the Bible. Uh, when I say basic, it's uh, uh, even folks that have been longtime Bible students have told us they really enjoy it. Uh, it refreshes their memory about things and puts it in a little different context than they uh, thought about perhaps, and they learn a lot even going over some of the basics. But once you get through it, there's even more advanced courses that we're happy to send to you and keep you studying the Bible for a long time with Know Your Bible Study Tools. So use the phone number, website at the bottom. We'll get the first course out right to you, and uh, you can decide if you like it or not. You can go as fast or as slow as you want. And if you decide for some reason it's not helpful, that uh, you don't like it or you don't have time for it, you just stop, and we won't bother you in any way. So that's the way that uh, course works. Give us a call or log on. Let us get it started for you. All right, now I can get to the question I wanted to get to. If you want to know about the age of accountability, and for many church folks, I'm sure that rings a bell. You say, oh, yeah, I know what the age of accountability is. Uh, well, you may know what it is, but it's not in the Bible. Uh, it's a man-made term uh, to describe something that has to exist. We know it has to be there, uh, but the Bible doesn't say the terms age of accountability, and it certainly doesn't tell us what that age is. Uh, what it tries to describe is the, we have two facts that we know. One is uh, babies are born innocent. Uh, they don't have the guilt of sin. Uh, they have some kind of a sin nature perhaps because of what Adam passed on to us. Uh, but the Bible's very clear that children don't have the guilt of sin. Uh, if they die at birth or very soon after, uh, we're totally confident they're going to heaven. I have an example in the Old Testament of David mourning because his newborn child was sick and didn't know if it would survive. And when it died, he cleaned himself up and began to eat again and said, now that he's in, baby's in heaven, I'm going to just get ready to go myself. Uh, so we're confident that's how little children uh, 
innocent little children, how God deals with them. His mercy and grace take care of it and they go to heaven. We also know that adults, people that are old enough to believe, uh, when they hear the gospel, when they believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He died for them, uh, if they'll repent and confess and be baptized, they become Christians. They become followers of Christ. All their sins are washed away. Uh, all the blessings that are in Christ are theirs. They're adopted as children of God. We know all of that. Now, from a child that can't do those things, can't even hear the gospel, can't believe it, can't respond to it by repenting or anything, uh, to an adult who can do that, somewhere in that time period, there becomes a time when a child who can't do that is able to do that. Uh, at some point, God knows this child is now accountable. That's where the term comes from. And so at some age, a child becomes accountable to God. He understands well enough what sins are. He understands enough about Jesus that if he hears the gospel, uh, he can respond to it and become a Christian. We don't know when that age is. Uh, I believe it's considerably different uh, for different children. One uh, rule of thumb that a lot of people like to use is under the Jewish system, the Hebrews, uh, a boy or became a man or a girl became a woman at the age 13. Uh, that's when Jesus went to the temple, talked to the uh, priests and all the people, teachers there at the temple. He was 13. Uh, so some people use that kind of a rule of thumb, but I have known children somewhat younger than that that understand very, very well and are very sincere in their heart, very convicted uh, that they need to do what Jesus said. And then some older than that that just don't mature or don't think uh, the same way. Uh, and that age is a little bit older. So that's what the age of accountability is. It's a matter of judgment for adults and especially for parents. Uh, we have to talk to your children. You have to discuss with them what they understand and what they don't. Uh, and you help them decide if they're at that age of accountability or not. Okay. All righty, Toby, what's your yep. question or need here? Well, a viewer wants to know, is baptism by full immersion the only way to be saved? Well, uh, I kind of have to answer the question by saying baptism by full immersion is the only way to be baptized. Uh, the word Baptism literally means uh, to be immersed, to be dipped, to be plunged. So uh, if you were to ask someone uh, who is writing the New Testament, can you be baptized by any other means other than uh, being fully dipped, fully immersed, submerged underwater, uh, they would uh, kind of look at you with a puzzled look on their face. I mean, it wouldn't make sense because the word actually means uh, buried, under, submerged, and dipped. Uh, the problem is that when early, the early English translation, the King James translation, uh, came across that word, uh, he didn't like the meaning. So he just said, we're going to transliterate it, meaning it's baptizo in the Greek, we'll just call it baptism in English. And there wasn't a comparable uh, English word. Uh, what they really should have put was to be buried, to be dipped, to be plunged underneath. And so um, the translation is where the problem is. When you look at the meaning of the word, that's the only way to do it. Now, uh, I want to get to the general idea is that the only way to be saved. The only way to be saved is through faith in Jesus Christ. 
Uh, Jesus, uh, in Acts 4.12, we're told salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we may be saved. And Jesus himself said uh, in Mark chapter 16, verse 16, which we'll look on the screen right now and read, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And there are people who have been sprinkled or in some other way have water applied to them, but technically speaking, when you look at the meaning of the word, uh, that's not baptism. And so, yes, uh, if you're going to be baptized, the way to do it is uh, exactly what the word means. Um, so that's simple faith in Christ by doing what he said and responding to the gospel invitation. All right. uh, that helps the viewer. Thank you, Toby. A uh, viewer has lost a pet and is wondering what the end result of that will be. I recently lost a pet and was wondering uh, if pets go to heaven. Well, I wonder that myself sometimes, <laughs> but I, I can't tell you specifically because the Bible doesn't say. And this program's called Know Your Bible, so that's what we go by. Uh, Bible just doesn't say. It, it, the only thing even close to it is sometimes in some of the old prophecies about the future kingdom, uh, the prophets will say it's going to be so peaceful uh, that the lion will lay down with the lamb. Now, whether that really means there's going to be lions and lambs and uh, other zoo animals there, I don't know. Uh, but I think it's a symbol of how peaceful things are going to be. Everybody's going to get along, even somebody as far apart as a lion and a lamb. Uh, but there may be lions and lambs there. The Bible doesn't <laughs> say there won't be. Uh, the traditional Christian uh, church interpretation of this, for, and I'm talking over 2,000 years of history, is that man is different than all the rest of the animals. That we are the only animal made in his image. Uh, we're like God in many ways. We have an eternal spirit. He breathed into us uh, his spirit and it lives forever. We, have a, we are a living soul. It doesn't say that about the animals. It says he made all of the other creatures. And then he said, let's make man in our image and we'll give them dominion. Man has dominion over all the other animals. And since the Bible says all that, the old traditional position has been that, well, man will go to heaven because he's the only one that's got an eternal soul. Uh, animals don't have souls, so they won't go to heaven. Uh, and that quite possibly is true, but the <laughs> Bible doesn't come out and say that. So the uh, interesting thing about this, it really never used to bother anybody uh, because we kind of thought that way. We understood that man was way different than the animal kingdom. And when pets died and stuff, yeah, we grieved because we like our pets, but it didn't bother us very long. Uh, today we've got things turned upside down where animals are more valuable than humans. Uh, we protect condor eggs uh, better than we protect human fetuses. So we've got things so turned upside down now that animals are elevated to God's image almost. Uh, so I think that's why it bothers people more. Uh, we think much more highly of animals than we used to. Uh, my final answer on it always is uh, if you really need a pet to be happy in heaven, God will probably arrange it for you. Uh, but I think heaven's going to be so different than here. Uh, that if we don't have our pets, we're not going to miss them a bit. Uh, if God wants us to have animals in heaven, they'll be there. <laughs> but the Bible doesn't say that. All right, let me take this moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. 
Churches of Christ keep us on the air and to help provide this program for you. And we always like to mention a few, uh, one or two each week and uh, invite you to drop in and thank them. Today's church we're highlighting is up in Burlington, Iowa. That's uh, our partner church up in that area. If you're watching uh, on the Rock Island station, uh, the church in Burlington is helping provide that for your broadcast area and uh, doing some of the things that are required with Know Your Bible, answering the phones and all of that. So great bunch of folks up there. Uh, drop in and visit them sometime, especially if you live in the area and especially if you're looking for a church home. Uh, drop in sometime and tell them that you've been watching Know Your Bible and you heard about them and you just wanted to see and thank them for keeping it on the air. Of course, anywhere you live in the broadcast markets of uh, Know Your Bible, you'll probably be able to find a Church of Christ. Uh, you'll find a group of folks there that think and study about the Bible like we do here on this program and uh, you'd be warmly welcomed at anyone you'd drop in and see. So visit us at the Church of Christ sometime. All right, Toby. Well, I've got an upset viewer. Okay. And they they are really upset. <laughs> sometimes so, that happens. Sometimes it happens. <laughs> Here it is. I am upset about your answer about marijuana. The facts were not presented, only the propaganda. Genesis says that every seed is good. Well, I apologize that you are upset, but I want to reintroduce you to the program that uh, the idea is that we want to teach on here what the Bible says and uh, stick within those parameters. So if we say something that is not what you want to hear, uh, don't get mad at the messenger. <laughs> uh, take issue with the message. Um, I, am, uh, I understand that you probably have a certain viewpoint, and uh, because that viewpoint is such that uh, you think marijuana is great and wonderful and helpful and all of that, that you want the Bible to back that up. But that's the wrong way to go about interpreting Scripture. We don't apply our, what we believe in our worldview and our ideas and look for proof of that in the Bible. We start with the Bible and let that teach us the principles, the precepts, and even the promises of God as we go along. And so uh, let me address your issue that Genesis says that every seed is good. Genesis chapter 1, verses 11 to 12, which we have on the screen. <clears throat> then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their ki various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Now... <laughs> When God, of course, is saying that it's good, it doesn't necessarily mean that every single plant is a wonderful thing to ingest, to smoke, or whatever you want to do with it. Any, any Boy Scout above the age of seven will tell you, you go through a basic handbook of understanding that there are certain kinds of plants that will hurt you and harm you, and there are certain kinds of plants that are useful for food. When God's saying it's good, he's talking about the overall idea of how creation plants would grow and create food and reproduce amongst themselves and be helpful for all kinds of things. But we have to use our minds to discern what is best and good and right. So uh, we've got a, because the Bible never specifically addresses the marijuana leaf of uh, or cannabis in the Bible, we have to use some principles of thinking. The Bible says we've got to have uh, self-control and we want to make sure we don't uh, harm our body in any way. When you look at all the things that are found within that leaf when you smoke it, uh, it makes you lose self-control, and it certainly poisons the temple. So I'm sorry if that uh, violates your worldview, but there Alrighty. you go. All righty. I'm sure he'll be able to. <laughs> I'm sure he's converted now. I'm sure. <laughs> 
sure he'll be able to mellow out and handle yeah. it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's take a moment to answer our trivia question. Quit fooling around here. Uh, what child did Hannah give to the Lord? Hannah gave her son Samuel to the Lord. She prayed for him, and when she was blessed with him, she gave him back to the Lord, and he served with Eli in the temple from then on. So, great story in First Samuel 1. We're glad you've been with us today. We're out of time for any more questions, but we're going to invite you to be back next week as we try to answer some more of them. Till then, we hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.